All right, so I'm going to go first. And uh, first of all, on, on behalf of the rest of the team, uh, Benna, Nanette, Dwayne, and Randy, I'd like to thank you all for, um, for what you did in supporting us to go um, with, with finances, with lots of tuna fish and uh, peanut butter and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, two weeks ago, we filled up the back of that van you saw with about 500 pounds of medicine and eyeglasses and food and maybe 15 pounds of clothes. Um, we packed light, and uh, we set off on a trip that I think uh, has affected all of us in different ways. Um, we were able to, and hopefully from the video, you got to just get a, a quick sense of, of a little bit of what we did. Um, we saw lots of patients, prayed with hundreds of uh, Africans, um, handed out hundreds of pairs of eyeglasses. Um, you know, you saw, yeah, I, I heard the chuckles as, as some of the folks, you know, you see the pictures of some of these glasses and, and the, you know, how thick they are. Um, but for some of these folks to, to not be able to see, and I'm sure Benna will speak to that more, um, it, it was an amazing thing. Um, Randy Oliver uh, was uh, the, the fifth member of our team. He is uh, a physician in Metropolis and goes to First Baptist Metropolis. He couldn't be with us tonight, so he sent a letter. So I'm going to read it on his behalf. It says, Dear Dorisville friends, it just didn't work for me to be with you tonight, so I wanted instead to have this letter read in my absence. Having been involved with you in Niger, I had watched with interest your work in Mali. Despite this, I have to admit I was somewhat surprised when in December I got a friendly email from a Judy Miller saying, let me introduce myself. That introduction was to eventually lead to this recent Mali trip. It seems that Judy had, through conversations with Dwayne and others, learned of a group from First Baptist Metropolis going to Haiti and doing medical missions clinics after the earthquake. Judy was hopeful that a similar team could be assembled and brought to Mali in the spring. Judy can be pretty persuasive as she talked of the loss of West Africa and the possible short time left to bring the gospel to this area. Her passion for God's work with her people was obvious. It's not very easy to say no to such an invitation. So hundreds of prayers, emails, and phone calls later, and despite the obstacles of schedules, conflicts, and even unexpected Mideast political turmoil, a date was agreed upon and a team was assembled. I think back about the number of times I recall feeling that this trip slash work was just not going to come together. But then seeing God open another door and moving the process forward. I'm sure the other members of the team have talked tonight about the actual travel, work, and people that became part of this recent trip. I will not attempt to add to these stories. I do, however, want to acknowledge how much I've been blessed once again by watching God work through another Dorisville FBC Metropolis mission trip. The neat thing about all of this is that you just have to show up. God takes it from there and can touch lives way beyond a few packets of medications or a pair of glasses. That's always God's way. He really doesn't need us to do his work, but he invites us to join him and ends up blessing us in the meantime. The other obvious is that this work is just a small part of the puzzle that could eventually lead to the winning of many souls in West Africa through ways we will never know. I thank God for the fact that he has caused our paths to cross. Three years ago, I had never even heard of Dwayne Taylor or Dorsville Baptist Church. I was feeling led to somehow use my medical training for God's work, but did not know where to turn. Little did I realize that these events of the last three years would unfold as they did. So we all look to the future, not sure what God has next, God has, God next has in mind. One thing is for sure, the fields are wide unto harvest, 
and God desires that all the nations know him. God's work is ongoing, and he will continue to invite us to join him in this work. Who knows? There may be more Dorisville FBC Metropolis partnerships around the next bin. Again, I was sorry I could not join you to celebrate tonight, Randy. So, and uh, boy, he, he really kind of, I mean, sums it up, doesn't he? Um, I, I can say for myself that th- this was a challenging trip um, in, in getting going. Uh, I mean, the, the work there was was challenging in its own ways, but for me, the biggest challenge was getting out the door. Um, you know, the Friday before we left, there were suddenly some security concerns that, that developed, and it just really hit me hard. Um, and, and, and really, uh, I, I was struggling with, with fear and worry, um, and at the same time, finding in Scripture and, and with the counsel of friends and things I was reading that, that God sometimes calls us to scary places. He sometimes calls us to dangerous places. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's, not, it's not foolish to do that. Um, and and he, is, he is perfectly capable of, of providing. Um, and, so, and so for me, it was, it was, it was clear that, that I should go. Um, I didn't, we talked a lot about this, about sometimes we feel like, I think there's a lot of people feel like, you know, you, the people that go on these trips have a, like a, a vision, a, a dream where God audibly says to them, Matt, you're the one, go. And, and I, I think none of us could say that's our experience. We haven't seen an airplane right in the sky, you know, you go. Uh, but you read in Scripture pretty clearly that he, he commands us to go. And, and when the doors open and the opportunities are there, I think for, for me sometimes the question is, why, well, is there a reason I shouldn't go? Because if there's not something that's keeping me from going, some reason I can't, then I ought to. Um, so, so that was, for me, one of the, one of the big obstacles was, was getting there. And, and then, you know, something in Randy's letter here really... It hits me um, where he talks about that God doesn't need us to do his work. I'm telling you, I was I, I got more out of this week than I put into it far and away. Um, without a doubt, I was the beneficiary um, to think that that God would choose to use a, a, a guy like me with, with what little I have to offer to, to be a part of of. Some things that were, I mean, they were they were otherworldly. Okay, they were not they were not routine. Um, and to think that he would trust me with that, to think that he would that he, he would honor me to be a part of that, is it's it's kind of more than I'm I can deal with a little bit. Um, so I'm going to just quickly, because I don't want to take all the time. But you saw a picture there um, in the slideshow of a young girl. Um, and, and it's a little hard to see on the, on the pictures, but, I mean, she had a bandage on her head, and she looked kind of lifeless. And, and that's because she was. Um, I want to, before I do that, I want to read two scriptures. Because the, th- the thing that, one of the things that hit me is that, I, I mean, we saw, we saw the Bible 
come to life. Okay? Um, Jesus does not show up late. He's always there when when you need him, when when the time is right. Um, This little girl... There, there were two things that kind of came to my mind when, when we were dealing with this little girl. And I'm going to tell you the story, but I want you to hear these two, these two passages. They're a little long, but whatever, it's the Bible. Uh, it says, this is Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue... Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she fell in her, felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You see, they thought it was over. They thought the deal was done. They're like, let the guy alone. He wasted his time with this other woman. The deal's done. She's dead. He can go on her way. And that's kind of how we felt with this girl. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why well, trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And we were weeping that night. And when he had entered... He said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him because it's ridiculous what he does. It doesn't make sense. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And then, and then in Acts chapter 20, um, verse 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where, he, where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But when Paul went down and bent over him, taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed. 
for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Um, I'm here to tell you the things we saw were not a little comforting. Um, This girl, we we had worked during the day. Um, We were about finished. Uh, We had gone back to the compound, cleaned up. um, And and the the people from the village were coming to do a a little dance and singing, kind of a thank you, which is one of the ways they they like to to thank. they They would bring us chickens, and it was a big deal because they don't have much. Um, so they're coming to sing for us, and we're kind of trying to relax because it was I mean, a lot of traveling. And uh, around the corner comes this dad carrying a, a little girl. And, and at first it kind of looked like she was asleep, um, very limp. And I thought, what, what's, what's the deal with this? And as they got closer, though, you could see she was just covered with blood. Um, and so we kind of jump up and like, okay, there's no coincidence that the two white doctors from America are here in this village today. And, and, and it's, it's no coincidence that there's about 12 of us crying out to the name of Jesus in this village. Um, so they tell us that this girl, who's about seven, has fallen out of a tree from a height of about 20 feet. It doesn't appear that she's hurt anything but her head. This girl fell 20 feet and, and landed on her head. Um, she's, she's not conscious at this point. Um, so we kind of take her over to the, uh, the area where we'd been working. And we lay her on a, on a wooden, like a table almost, like a, like a coffee table, about that height. And um, we start trying to clean her up. And, and uh, every now and then she'd kind of wake up and kind of fight us a little bit. Um, but, but she was definitely not following commands and not with it. Um, and I'm worried in my American doctor mind. I'm worried because it's like five hours in a bumpy road to the CAT scanner, you know, which is in my mind's thinking like, oh, well, this, these are things we need to do. She needs a CAT scan. If you're in America, that's what would happen. Um, we didn't have any of that. Uh, so we, we clean her up and, and she, she just kind of lays there sleeping. And, and we're talking about what we could do. And, 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 and the, the ladies and the, the young men that you saw in those pictures, man, if, if, if you had a chance to know these guys, wow. Um, so they're all praying. And, and uh, things are kind of calm for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, the parents aren't even there because when she fell, she wasn't at home. And when they told the mom, she was so overwhelmed um, that, that she just couldn't come. So we're, we're just kind of watching. And, and then things got worse. Um, you know, it was it, it kind of like the, the Jairus' daughter. It, it was like things, things got worse, and, and we thought we were done. Um, she, she threw up, and, and then she started to have a seizure. Um, and, and as the seizure kind of slowed down, uh, opened her, her one eye you couldn't open. It was so swollen from the trauma. But the other eye opened, and, and there was no pupil reflex. Shine the light 
and her, her pupil was dilated and didn't shrink. And it's supposed to shrink when you shine a light in it if your brain's working. Um, and, and she had a reflex on her foot that us doctors kind of check that, that gives you an idea that things are working, just in layman's terms, okay? And hers wasn't working. We scratched her foot and her toe starts pointing up, and that's a, that's a bad sign. Dwayne said he was, he was thinking about what he would say at the funeral. It, it was that bad. Um, I, was, I was, at that point, I was, I was on my knees um, next to this little coffee table thing. And the, the, the rocks on the ground are kind of cutting into my knees. And I, I'm holding her, her wrist, feeling her pulse. Because I'm just waiting for it to quit. Um, and I can hear everybody praying. And I'm, I'm praying and, and begging God. And, and this is the thing that kept coming into my mind. For the sake of your name. This old girl's dad, he comes in and he's standing over the, over the table there. And he starts whimpering. I'm bawling. He whimpers a little bit. That's not, not what an African man does. And over the next couple of hours, she, she, starts, to, she starts to come around. She starts to respond to commands. Um, her mama comes and calls out her name, and she kind of grunts a little bit. You could tell she was she was getting it. Things were working. Um, I'm telling you, I've got more schooling than than I know what to do with. Um, I've read books. I've listened to lectures. I've got letters after my name. This was a miracle. And here's the thing. It was a miracle for the sake of his name. He didn't just heal that girl to be good to that daddy. I mean, he did. That was part of it. He loves that dad he he did that for that dad um he, he did it for me so that i could say I've, I've seen this stuff come alive i mean this isn't words on a page anymore i mean it never was but all the more so it's not words on a page but the, the ultimate reason he did that was so that all those people in that village would start to know that the, the Jesus guy we're talking about, he's the real deal. And they got it. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't get it all the way. They don't know that they, they're, they're still working through things. 
But I'm telling you that, that they know Jesus in a way this week that's a whole lot different than the way they knew him two weeks ago. That little girl, after we left, uh, she came back walking around in the village. We, we, weren't, we weren't there. We didn't get to, didn't get to see it. Um, but I'm excited to hear that and to, to get pictures maybe from some of the, some of the guys that are still there. Um, and I'm excited to know what happens when those guys go to her village and, and, and can say, you know, this was no coincidence that, that these Jesus followers were, were there. You know, they, they kept saying, oh, isn't it great that the doctors are here? And I was thinking, you guys, the doctors don't have a lot to offer here right now. Isn't it great that this prayer warrior's here? Isn't it great that there's these, these five young college guys who have sold out for Jesus that are, that are begging him to make himself known? That's, that's what was the miracle. It wasn't that I happened to be there. We put a Band-Aid on this girl's head. I didn't do anything. Um, but, but, boy, Jesus did something pretty amazing. And I'm just grateful to be a part of it. So I've wasted, I've taken up, I don't think I've wasted, because that, that's a big deal. But I've talked way too long, so it's Benna's turn. As Matt said, God showed up he, from while we were there, even in the beginning. As he said, this was trying to get five busy people, their schedules together. We just didn't know if we were going to be able to pull it off. And uh, through the help of some great administration, um, we were able to make it work. One thing, I do want to echo the, the thanks to the church for all your support. I also want to mention that your Lottie Moon dollars paid for those trucks, paid for those tents, paid for the missionary salaries that were our hosts while we were there. So this Christmas when we start talking Lottie Moon, you had a part in what we were able to do. Besides, money that you sent also provided the vitamins, the ibuprofen, the glasses that we were able to take. And so, again, you have had a very big part in this. And, again, we could not have done it without you. We wished we'd had a satellite phone because we sure could have used some extra prayers going up. But God heard us, and God decided to show up and do the miracle that we needed. Um, he also did some other amazing things. Um, I want to tell a little bit about what, what I got to do as far as it. Um, again, it wasn't an ordinary week at the office. We normally don't drive four and a half hours out into the African bush um, to mud huts. Uh, we normally don't get thanked by chicken and goats. Um, we normally don't get to sleep under the starry African sky. It was so bright that you almost needed a, a mask to sleep with. Um, it was an awesome experience to get to dance with a Christian, to, with the African sisters uh, around a bucket. Um, it was definitely not an ordinary week at the office, but it was one of the best weeks of my life. Um, a few weeks before our trip, we uh, found out about a ministry of a guy in Louisville, Kentucky, who is not an optometrist, but his name is Holland Kendall, and he had gone on a mission trip and where they basically took glasses and tried them on, handed them back to the next person and so forth. Being the electrical engineer and a computer geek that he was, he decided something better could be done. And he 
wanted to, to facilitate this. So he came up with a system that um, allows, uh, has the equipment that we were able to take with us. Uh, we were able to rent it for a very nominal fee, and it did a lot of the work uh, for us. Uh, it is designed for lay people to go and take on trips like this. And um, through much hard work, again, we appreciate Judy Taylor's computer skills, uh, we were able to log in 1,600 pair of glasses that we ordered through the Lions Club of Indiana, log this into this computer. This equipment, which Dwayne manned some and I helped some, uh, we were able to use this equipment on these people. It would transfer the data to the computer, and the computer would look through the inventory of the glasses that we had had entered, and it would spit out a list of five or six different prospects of glasses that were the closest match that we had. Now, sometimes we had to be a little creative with it, um, but then Nan would take, go to those numbers, and with her helpers of, of these other missionaries that were on the field with us, would take those numbers, match them up, try them on the people, and see what worked for them, what fit their face. Sometimes they liked the big 1980s style. Sometimes they liked the small. Um, we found the village people liked the great big huge ones. The, the city people liked the small ones. I think it was a media, media thing there. But over the next uh, few days, we did about three and a half days of clinic in the, um, in the village there. And we had people that walked for miles. Uh, one of our very last patients was a 72-year-old man that they said had walked about 30 kilometers, which is about 17, 18 miles, to get to our clinic. And uh, a lot of these people had very dense cataracts and were not able to be helped other than give them some uh, reading glasses to maybe magnify things. Uh, we had one young fellow who was uh, a sewer of leather and who could no longer sew because um, he was having trouble seeing. So we were able to provide him with something that he could continue his livelihood. Um, one of the um, interesting cases was when we got back to town, there was, uh, we, went, we went to different houses where different people would come to the house and we would do clinics there. In one of the last clinics we were able to do, there was a man. Uh, a lot of people had blind eyes because of the dust and infections that they hadn't been able to treat. He had a blind eye. His other eye, his prescription was about a plus 12. Now, if you can imagine, a normal pair of reading glasses about a plus 2. This was about six times that thick. Man had no glasses, had no clue he couldn't see. And um, the way we worked it when we were in the city is Dwayne and Nan stayed back at the guest house with the glasses. We would call in the prescriptions, and then they would run with one of the other missionaries to the house after we had done the, the uh exams and they would deliver the glasses and uh, so I called them Lens Express and um, they uh, were able to take these glasses to this fellow and for the first time he could see uh, and his words were uh, he could tell that the missionary was white that she had designs on her shirt and that she had her teeth her teeth were all intact <laughs> which is a big deal for Africans and uh, so in some small way, we were able to make them see a little bit better that week. Um, but as, as they've as hopefully caught a little bit of a gist, it was a whole lot more than just handing out vitamins and ibuprofen and glasses uh, and artificial tears, which those were a big hit. Um, it was about being able to be used to open doors. Um, these places we were in, this village, um, there was a believer there who had been highly persecuted 
for his belief and had not um, had really had a hard time. And we came in the name of Jesus, but as friends of Yama. And because of that, he was elevated to a position where he had been persecuted to now he had a, per, a position of respect. People would now be able to listen to the God of Yama and be able to um, reconsider their Muslim faith. And uh, that, um, that this Jesus road that we talked about, Jesus was the right way, that Jesus could heal. And uh, obviously, Jesus showed up and did a lot of healings. And, and that was just one of the... Uh, that story about the little girl, they had, he, could, he could stand up here and talk for two or three hours of, of interesting cases and things. But again, we want to let you know it was much more about um, being used um, to open the doors for these missionaries. Um, a lot of them were just building relationships um, so that the families would listen to the stories that these ladies wanted to tell them. Um, again... Uh, we had to stop on our way out to the village uh, to visit with the prefect, who was the mayor of that little community. Uh, later on, he drove about two and a half hours on out and came to our clinic, which we thought was a big deal. Uh, because of this man's uh, approval, we were able to get about $20,000 worth of pharmaceuticals donated to, again, help these, treat these people, which, again, a few weeks prior, we didn't think we were going to be able to pull off. Um, things like God getting us through the security smoothly uh, when we had all this interesting equipment, uh, particularly when we were running behind on schedule. Um, again, over the week, we were able to give about three or 400 pair of glasses, but hopefully, um, better yet, we were open to, able to open the eyes of their hearts and uh, help them to see that the Jesus road that we were able to uh, speak to them openly about um, is the one true way. Well, I always get to go along and feel privileged because I don't have any expertise. I'm just a willing person that gets to go and, and see God at work. And it's always wonderful to come home um, having been in his presence. Um, I do want to, uh, one thing that Matt didn't talk about, um, you remember last year the lady that we talked about that um, this same village is one that we did a dental clinic in in November. And the lady we told you about um, that didn't come to the clinic and one of the dentists went to her um, little hut and when they walked in, the stench was so bad, they knew something was going on. And this girl had um, what they later found out. It was called a noma, and it starts as gingivitis, and then it gets gangrenous, and then it starts eating away if you don't get it taken care of. And, of course, they have no, no money to go get anything taken care of. But anyway, um, we got her help last year. We took her uh, to several doctors who finally agreed to take her case on, and she was put in a, a place outside of the capital until they could get the infection cleared up, and then they started treating her. Well, lo and behold, guess who was back at the village when we showed up this time? So she saw some, some familiar faces, which I know she connected with, and she knew that um, 
that we were a good thing and not a bad thing, that we were good white people, although some of the babies there would not tell you that because a lot of them still don't see white faces and they would cry if we tried to touch them. Um, but that may change after this visit. But um, this lady was, was back home, she told us, or through interpreters, um, for three months, and then she would have to go back and get more treatment done. But what was so neat, when she w- couldn't come out of her hut the last time we were there, she, was, she couldn't get enough of being around us. And to me, that almost proves that she's a seeker, and she's going to listen to Nyama when he talks in her village. And um, Matt got to take her in the privacy of another little hut and redress her face. So he, if you have any questions about, we didn't get to see that, what her face looked like and how that's coming along. Um, um, anyway, she was there, and not only was she there at the clinic, she would come in the compound we were staying in, and she was one of the ones that got up and danced. She had something to dance about because she was getting the help she needed. Now, we don't know how long she will be around because it may this thing on her face may take her life, but her life has been changed, we know. And we pray that she will come to know the God of, of, of the reason why we came. Um, again, you can't go and not be changed. Um, course you know the people that I went with are wonderful people couldn't be around better people for a week but again we can't say enough about Judy Miller and her love for these young people that she's in charge of these young people who as we've said are sold out and surrendered they're just not on the fringe they're the real deal and they've given these these five boys it or four of the boys it's just for a semester but I don't know many college kids that would do that, give up, you know, they'd rather be doing something else. Um, and then for these journey girls and for Scott, who have given up two years um, to go and make a difference in the lives. And they are. They're, they are impacting their world. And if you haven't read Radical, Ben told me I should read that, and so I have been. But um, there's, a def- there's a definition. We've been told all of our lives that you need to impact your world for Christ. And I think a lot of us think that we do that, and, and, and we do, maybe not in um, as big a way as maybe we could, because I know not everyone says, well, I don't feel called to go to the foreign missions. Uh, we, can, we can do that here in Harrisburg. We can do that in our state. We can do that in this country, and we can. But how many of us really do make an effort every day, uh, wherever we're going, to do that, to verbally and um, to do that are, are we impacting a lot of us just want to do it by the way we live and Christ calls us to do that you know to do unto others and and that will show them but we really need to make more of an effort and and here's um, a formal definition of impact is a forcible contact between two things and God has designed our lives for a collision course with the world and I can tell you from what I've seen on the three times I've been to Mali we, we are making an impact. We have caused a collision just from what you've heard that was done on this trip. We, we have made an impact. <clears throat> Regardless of what country we live in, what skills we possess, what kind of education we have, what kind of salary we make, Jesus has commanded each of us to make disciples 
and this is the means by which we will impact the world. And you see, we've gone and hopefully are making disciples, and those people that are there staying for a little bit longer are making disciples because they are teaching um, the people that live there about Christ, and then they can in turn tell their own people. Um, And Jesus has invited us to join him in the surprisingly simple journey of spreading the gospel to all the nations by spending our lives for the good of others and for the glory of God. picture of me, I don't know if you noticed it, with the lady that had a scarf that covered half of her face is that lady. And she remembered me and I, through the interpreter, said I danced with you, or danced in your village and, and you know, and saw you before. And she remembered. Paul, that's one of the highlights, I think, of the trip. I was in a November trip also and was there when the lady, they found the lady and, and part of that story. And to see the change in her life from November to now was incredible. And keep in mind that this young lady, again, would never come out of her hut. And Nan was right. She couldn't get enough of being around. But, but understand that when she was clapping in the circle and then she got up and danced with the group, it was during a worship service. That's why Nanette was saying she was a seeker. is because she was, we were all singing songs, African songs, about, about God. That, that was really incredible. It really, really was. Uh, another thing, too, let me just add a little couple of details about the guy that was in Bamako. Um, we were the Lens Express. And um, so we took a pair, the strongest pair of glasses that, Nan, or that Minnesota should take was about a nine. And so we didn't have a nine, so we took an eight, seven, five. And then she said, take a three on top of that. And so have him put on the eights for distance, the eight, seven, five for distance, and then the three on top of that, on, where two pair of glasses, to read. And we said, okay. And so we got there, and he was back in the corner there, and uh, he put on the 875s and nothing. I mean, he could not see a thing. It was like, no, no, I cannot see anything. Can you not see that? No, I can see nothing. And so on a whim, we said, well, let's put on both pair of glasses and see what that does for him distance-wise. And that's when he could see. When we put on the, the 3 plus the 8, uh, he got to around power of 11, he could finally see, and he did describe the missionary. And so what's really cool is, and, and Judy did just an incredible job, uh, my Judy, of uh, putting a lot of the glasses in. I helped her some, but basically she entered 1,600 pair of glasses in the computer. But one of the pairs I got to enter was, was we were going along, you know, and some of these glasses were just comical. I mean, they were definitely, they were on 80s. I don't know when they were, you know. And some of them were huge. And I came upon a pair, two pair of glasses that were together. One was a 12 and one was an 11. And I went into Judy and said, Judy, look at these glasses. They're huge. I mean, the lens were like that thick. I said, Holy mackerel, what are we going to do with those, you know? So we went ahead and entered them in the computer, got them into the inventory, and got to Africa. And here's a guy who needed a 12. So we didn't get to go back. So we gave them to the young lady, Michelle Harrison, and said, when you get a chance, go back and see if these will help the guy. This morning, I got an email. It's from Michelle Harrison. By the way, Mr. Dwayne, we got to go back. And we gave the man the glasses. He said, I can see everything. I, and then he goes to describe, he liked to describe the American girls. <laughs> I can see your dress. I can see your face. And I can see your teeth. And I can see everything. And he had that hallelujah moment. Because somebody in the Lions Club was used by God to send us a pair of 12 plus reading or 12 plus single vision glasses. Is God incredible or what? He really, I mean, he knew that. 
He knew that. Now, we, this is my sixth trip or seventh trip. I think my sixth trip to Africa. And we've seen God work in special ways. I just want to go on record saying this. Of the teams I've been a part of and the things that we've seen God do, this is by far uh, the most powerful mission trip of seeing the hand of God working. And we have seen the hand of God in every trip. But this one was just unique in a very special way. And uh, God assembled these people. Um, I love it. I remember one night, Nam, we were being introduced. Some Jesus said, introduce yourselves. And Nam said, hi, I'm Nam Franks, and I'm a volunteer. And uh, I was next. I said, my name is Wayne Taylor, and I'm a volunteer. And I think it was Dr. Matt that was next. And uh, you know what Matt said? Hi, my name is Matt Winkleman, and I'm a volunteer. And that's the way it was. There were no rock stars. There were no heroes. It was just people who loved Jesus sharing the love of Jesus. And, and the door in Mali, guys, I'm not sure how long it's going to be open. Um, the Muslim influence is moving south. Um, it's coming from the north where Niger is so strict. And then in the uh, Touareg area and the desert area, it's very strict. And slowly that Muslim influence is moving south. Right now they're, they're a cross between the, the Muslim faith and the animistic religions. In fact, one of the persons I was, I was fixing to do the auto-refractor thing on a lady, and she had a young boy in her lap, and around that little boy's neck was a pouch, and that was his fetish that she had gotten from the witch doctor to protect him. And I just paused right there, and I said, even before we check your eyes, can we pray for you in Jesus' name uh, that, that God would open your eyes in a very special way? And she, of course, said yes. We had this incredible freedom to pray in Jesus' name and to share Jesus um, with these dear people. So I want to challenge you. God has not necessarily called us to a ministry in, in Mali like he called us with the Touareg folks. Um, but as your pastor, I just want to say thank you for the help that you provide. And thank you for allowing us to go. But I also want to encourage you folks that we've got to be willing to be used of God as much as possible. Um, no matter how he calls. I know some people say, why go to Africa? Why go to Africa? In, in, in Matthew 28 and Acts 1-8 and the Word of God and the heart of God is that we go everywhere. And I said this morning when I was talking to the new member class, um, in ben, Tim and Bennett's class, we're teaching new members this week the, the curriculum. And I said if you go two blocks that way or two blocks that way or two blocks that way or two blocks that way, there are lost people. You don't have to go to Africa to find lost people. In fact, in North America, there are 258 million lost people of a population of 320 million the fields truly are wide into harvest. And, and I know with all my heart that God is calling us to keep going, to keep doing, to go north, to go east, to go west, to go south, to go to Canada, to go to downtown Chicago, to East St. Louis, and yes, to go where he leads us, to Nicaragua or to Africa. And I want to challenge you as your pastor. I know sometimes it's hard to understand why we do what we do, but we have a mandate from God. And I know Matt Winkleman would have missed this week for the world. He would, no matter what it was, he would not have missed seeing. I love what you said, Matt. It leaped off the page. It became real that day. And to have the incredible privilege of God saying, I would like to invite you to be a part of the plan is incredible, incredible privilege. And I want to challenge you like never before. These days are winding down. Judy Miller said it. The world over there is falling apart. You have to watch the news to see that. Syria, Libya, um, Liberia, Egypt, all over Tanzania, their world is falling apart. But the door is still open. And as that door is open, I want to challenge us as Doors Baptist Church to keep being, to keep going, and to keep 
sharing Jesus Christ. It has to be intentional. It's not always easy. I'm telling you, it makes God smile. Amen? It makes God smile. Thank you so much for coming tonight, for sharing. I know the team would be available tonight to answer any questions that you have. And I just want to thank you for an incredible week. Um, it was just wonderful to see God. In. Matt, you're right. I said, Lord, I don't know if we're planning a funeral or a celebration, but God, may you receive glory. And in my heart, I really thought it was going to be a funeral. I thought the little girl was going to die. I'll just be honest with you. Woke up the next morning, I said, how's the little girl? She's, she's been taken to the clinic, and she's alert. And she I already knew that she recognized her name. And like I said, we got the report that she's up and walking around. How incredible is that, huh? God is great. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, you are awesome and you are good. And we praise you and we thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for letting us be a part of your plan. In fact, to be your aid plan. And, uh, Father, we are nothing special. We simply are, are experiencers of your grace. And, Jesus, you are not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's our neighbor's Two blocks to the south, two blocks to the north, and two blocks to the east or west. It's the, it's the two million, three million, seven million lost in Illinois. It's the 258 million North, north America. And it's the lost in Mali and Niger and China around this world. Father, I want to pray in Jesus' name that we'll have the courage, even when you show up in unexpected ways, to say, yes, God, yes. Thank you for this church. Father, continue to mold our hearts to be like yours. Help us lay aside the mundane and, Father, pick up the radical. The radical of being like you, Jesus. And we pray you'll dismiss us with love and care. You know our steps tomorrow, Father. For the steps of your people are ordered by the Lord. And you do delight in our way. And, God, should we fall? We will not stay utterly cast down because we are upheld by your strong hand. And Jesus, I pray this in your strong name, believing. Amen. God bless you. Thanks a lot.